Hi, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am thrilled to be talking via Skype today with my friend, Dr. Emerson Wickwire. Hello, Emerson. Hello, Howie. So uh, you uh, actually provided me with an introduction, so I can actually like not kind of make things up and flub them. So I'll, just, I'll, I'll give this to, to folks as a uh, as a teaser for what we're going to be talking about, which is um, sleep and the relationship between getting enough and, and enough quality sleep and a lot of other things that we care about, like our energy levels, uh, our fitness, our weight, the foods we eat, the cravings we have or don't have. So uh, that's where we're going. So let me now explain a little bit about why you're the man. So uh, Dr. Emerson Wickwire is the Sleep Medicine Program Director at Pulmonary Disease and Critical Care Associates in Columbia, Maryland, and assistant professor part-time at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, where he completed a two-year postdoc fellowship in sleep. Um, Dr. Wickwire is board certified in behavioral sleep medicine and cognitive and behavioral psychology, and we're going to get into what all that is uh, quite soon. Uh, and he's a recognized expert in the non-drug treatment of sleep disorders and comprehensive approaches to managing chronic disease with a particular interest in leveraging technology to improve patient care. And those of you who've been listening to my podcast for a while know that I'm kind of a fanboy of lots of technologies that um, that can give us insights and are just fun to play with and uh, and our and our and our holistic ways in rather than just giving us reductionist data points. Um, Dr. Wickwire has published over two dozen peer-reviewed scientific articles, book chapters, and scientific abstracts, and has served as a reviewer for numerous academic publications. And he is also the author of several sleep-related informational products, which I think we are going to be talking about on a later call as as they as they develop and go to market. Uh, and I'm hoping I get to be a, a guinea pig for those. And when he is not sleeping himself, Dr. Wickwire remains an active and award-winning medical educator. He's on the education committees for the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, the National Sleep Foundation, and the American Pain Society. He's lectured at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, University of Maryland, Walter Reed Army Medical Center, National Intrepid Center of Excellence at Bethesda Naval Medical Center, and elsewhere. So this is no slacker we have on the Skype with us today. Welcome, Dr. Emerson Wickwire. Thank you very much. So the first question I have for you is, um, why is sleep important? Like, let, let, me, let me start with just, you know, the, the idiot question. Like, why, do, why should I care about the quality or quantity of my sleep? Well, depending on who you are and how old you are, um, uh, there are going to be several different reasons uh, um, why you should care about sleep. But the bottom line is that throughout the lifespan, even uh, uh, prenatally, uh, sleep is uh, one of the most uh, reliable and robust predictors of uh, health, uh, broadly defined. Um, uh, Howard, I know that you have a, obviously a particular interest in uh, diet and, and daytime performance. Um, one way to think about it is that the average uh, American adult will spend over the course of his or her lifetime 24.8 years of his or her life asleep. It puts the importance of 
the bed and bedroom and, and having a comfortable mattress and so forth uh, in a little bit different light. And if this weren't uh, important, if sleep didn't serve uh, a vital function uh, from an evolutionary perspective, then it's an absolutely huge mistake. <laughs> Meaning, meaning, when we're asleep, we can't run away from animals. We can't chase food. We can't rear our young. We can't. We're we're, we're obviously giving up an awful lot in order to to do this sleep thing. Exactly, exactly right to do this sleep thing. Okay. So, so what I I always assumed that like sleep was just, uh, you know, kind of recharging my batteries. Is is that a useful way to think of it, or are there more nuanced uh, kind of models? Well, I, both. Uh, it is a useful way to think of it. And in a brushstroke sort of way, that's what sleep is. It's, it's a slowing down. Uh, during sleep, uh, we consume less oxygen. Uh, our heart rate slows down. Our respiration rate slows down. The electrical activity in our brains uh, slowed down. Uh, our blood pressure decreases. Uh, so it is um, uh, a slowing down period. But it's also a very active, structured period. Uh, in preparation for the call, uh, Howard, you and I had spoken some about circadian rhythms, which are uh, broad, roughly 24.2-hour uh, biorhythms, uh, which are more of a macro rhythm. And then there are also micro rhythms within, within the course of a day called an ultradian rhythm. This lasts about a hundred minutes, give or take. And these uh, rhythms or cycling functions take place not only while we're awake, but also throughout the night while we're asleep. So sleep doesn't happen like a, a light switch. Uh, and what I mean by that is that you don't just sort of fall asleep and stay uh, flatline for eight hours and then wake up later. Actually, during the course of the night, you're waxing and waning in and out of deeper stages of sleep, including having a number of awakenings, six to 12 awakenings. It's just that they're, they're so brief that most of the time uh, you don't recall them. So um, it, it is a slowing down period, but it's also uh, a very structured period uh, with specific uh, physiologic and uh, uh, and other functions. So this, what, what what are some of the other functions? I, I I remember reading a few years ago. I think it was John Medina's book Brain Rules, where sure. he was he was talking about learning. Um, are there, what's what's the relationship between sleep quality and and different types of learning? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. I I know the book. Um, so there are different stages of sleep is one of the most important things uh, to understand. Um, and if you think about uh, sleep um, as it's most commonly defined, which has to do with EEG frequency, uh, what that means, uh, Howard, is that uh, sleep is uh, objectively defined. So in order to quantify sleep or define sleep or measure sleep, you actually have to be measuring using what's called an EEG or electroencephalograph. That's where they stick all those wires on your on your skull uh, using paste they have to comb out of your hair and things. Uh, uh, that's how sleep is measured. And so you end up seeing a whole bunch of squiggly lines. And the height of those lines and the 
uh, space between those lines. By that, I mean the amplitude and the frequency of those lines. That's how sleep is defined. So different stages of sleep, including wakefulness, uh, have are, are associated with different uh, frequencies of EEG activity. So um, there used to be uh, essentially five stages of sleep, and then uh, scientific consensus came out in 2007 and reduced it to now there are only four stages of sleep. Those stages are what are called rapid eye movement sleep, which you've heard about, and that's when most dreaming uh, takes place. Uh, and then there are uh, three stages of what we would call non-rapid eye movement sleep, which are non-REM 1, 2, and 3. And those stages um, represent uh, um, increasingly slow frequencies uh, of sleep. So in other words, stage N1 is closer to wakefulness uh, stage N3 is uh, farther away from wakefulness. Uh, during stage N3, your brain is, this is what we call deep sleep or delta sleep. It's when your brain waves are oscillating very, very slowly. Now, um, so when we talk about different functions uh, that take place during sleep, we really want to think, well, okay, what's happening um, in these different stages? And the answer, uh, the answer is, uh, remains somewhat plastic, even though we have some pretty good uh, clues. For example, stage N3 sleep, uh, the deepest stage of sleep, uh, most of which tends to take place in the first third of the night, uh, is associated with the secretion uh, in a pulsative fashion of human growth hormone. So uh, this is what uh, leads us to feel physically restored and refreshed and regenerated and robust. This is when hair follicles regenerate and so on and so forth. It also decreases over the course of the lifespan. So although we can't uh, conclusively uh, um, demonstrate a causal relationship, we can absolutely demonstrate a correlational relationship between decreases in stage N3 sleep and the aging process. Uh, for example. Um, conversely, if we look at, um, uh, at, at learning, at, uh, um, uh, at cognitive function, and so on and so forth, uh, this will take place often during stage N2 sleep. Um, emotional processing uh, is often associated with stage uh, REM sleep. So each stage of sleep has, we can make brushstroke generalizations about exactly what's happening during the brain, and experimentally, we can also deprive uh, uh, healthy humans or animals of various stages of sleep and then watch uh, essentially what they're not able to do as well. For example, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, as you know, was taking... Uh, uh, a, a, a very powerful surgical anesthetic, which essentially deprived him of REM sleep uh, for two months. So functionally, he, even though he was um, uh, taking this strong medication and, and sort of knocking himself out every night, he actually wasn't really getting any sleep at all. Uh, during his testimony, Chuck Zeisler, who's a very, very well-regarded sleep scientist at Harvard, essentially said, yeah, he'd been completely sleep-deprived for two months. He had absolutely no REM sleep, and that was the um, uh, certainly a contributing cause to his death. So I'm, I'm going to let you uh, narrow the focus here and redirect, but 
uh, in a nutshell, each stage of sleep can be associated with specific physiologic functions, um, including not only learning and, and memory, but also physical restoration. Wow. Well, well the, I'm, I'm processing very uh, intensely now because what you, you know, I, I sort of have heard some of this stuff before, but the way you put it, it really reminds me of the way I'm approaching nutrition. Which is, you know, you, you definitely, you, there's definitely different nutrients in food. And it was, it's really useful to, to understand that, you know, fats do this and carbohydrates are good for this and proteins. And then, and then we can get much more, you know, um, granular and talk about what vitamin C does or, or, uh, um, you know, phytochemicals and, and, and stuff like that. But, there is a, a kind of a grand symphony and it sounds like that, you know, what we're learning really interesting, fascinating things about sleep. And the reason we're, we're learning them is that we have a kind of sleep nutrition deficiency that people aren't getting the, you know, the sleep nutrients that, that they need. And so we're seeing experimentally and we're seeing kind of as a society, the effects of, of poor sleep, um, I guess I'm, I'm jumping ahead of maybe where this, where this conversation is, uh, so I'm, so I'm thinking about kind of how to, how to stitch it together, but do you, do you see sleep as a bunch of stages or ultimately as kind of a, a very holistic experience that has these, um, you know, nu- nuanced elements to it? Oh, I think that's a great question, and, and I don't, think that we're too far ahead of the skis at, at all. I think one of the things that happens anytime we're learning a new sleep in some ways, it's like the, uh, it's like outer space or the ocean. It's this vast, um, uh, uh, experience that's just ripe for exp- exploration. So like when I speak with, with, uh, uh, with, with, um, with bright folks like yourself, it, it just takes a, an interesting tidbit or two about sleep before the gears, gears get turning and, and hopefully, uh, folks begin to get interested and realize how important this is. Like I said, 25 years of your life. So, um, I, I think that the, uh, that the answer uh, is both and absolutely sleep is, um, there are no hard and fast rules, uh, from a public health perspective. In other words, sometimes folks ask me about the results of their sleep study and what's the distribution of my sleep stages and how does this compare to the distribution of my sleep stages for a healthy adult my age? And these are all fair questions, but they also sort of miss the point. In other words, first we want to look at look at things holistically. And then if there are deficiencies, I think it becomes useful to start to um, look at things at a more granular level. So for the average, um, uh, uh, for, for the average listener uh, on the podcast, for example, you may have some curiosity about the distribution of sleep stages, but you want to think first about uh, your overall subjective sleep quality and quantity and your daytime function and, and a, a, a much more um, uh, holistic uh uh, sort of overview uh, of of sleep. 
uh, if there are problems that you begin to identify in your energy level, in your dietary cravings, in your uh, mood or uh, uh, cognitive performance and so on and so forth, then it may be useful to begin to uh, look at where that symphony may be breaking down. Because the bottom line is that the same way with maintaining a uh, healthy, balanced diet uh, there's a lot of plasticity. Uh, I remember once when I was uh, um, a trainee, and uh, Hopkins is a superior place um, uh, for a voracious learner uh, to be a trainee because you're just surrounded by uh, some of the brightest folks in the world. And there was a conversation about stage N3, or what's called slow-wave sleep, and REM sleep. And um, uh, if you look at the published data uh, and you tell me the age of a patient, we know that this patient should have about this much slow-wave sleep and about this much REM sleep if you look at the uh, sort of aggregate over the course of a night. But the fact is that those numbers are really plastic. And so someone might have more REM sleep and less slow wave sleep uh, and someone else might have it the opposite and these two folks are going to function just fine uh the same way and and uh, I'll let you correct any mistakes I make uh, from a nutritional perspective but the reality is that there's also uh, some plasticity you don't need to maintain the same uh, carbohydrate count 7 days a week uh, or the same ratio of uh, carbohydrates to protein seven days a week to maintain a healthy diet. Um, now, when things start to break down, then it might get m- the finer tooth comb, I think, can come in handy. Right. I'm really starting to see some some connections here, and I'm so grateful to you for, for, for laying this out. Um, so it's, it's certainly true that we don't have to, like, fret obsessively about, you know, carbs to proteins to, to anything else or how many grams of, of beta carotene we're, we're taking in. Um, but our bodies are, do that really well, naturally. Um, and we, you know, if, if, if we were in a natural environment, we would be within very, very close tolerances to our ideal pretty much all the time. Uh, based on what our what our cravings were, what our bodies told us we wanted to eat. Do you want an apple? Do you want uh, you know an avocado? And 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 the 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 problem is that we're in a really unnatural environment, and so we can have all sorts of of issues, and we don't even think to talk about nutrition as the cause of the issues because we're doing what everyone else is doing. So by, by the same token, I'm imagining that from your perspective, we live in a crazy messed up sleep culture. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a wonderfully apt metaphor, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, to use uh, your cravings example, uh, sleep is... Uh, certainly a leading cause of what we might call, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a more eloquent uh, description, but screwed up cravings. Uh, when, when our, when our, when our, um, uh, when our appetite hormones uh, are out of whack, uh, we can crave the wrong kinds of foods. And if it would be uh, useful, uh, uh, Howard, for your listeners, I'd be happy to explain a little bit more about what I mean. Yeah, just, I want to just frame it in my own mind that, you know, 
like I know lots of people who brag about how badly or how little they sleep. <laughs> like you know, right? You know, so that so that there's some there's something. You know, I, I, before we get into sort of the effects of of poor sleep habits, or and and I, I'm guessing there's lots of poor habits that we do while we're awake that affect our sleep. Um, but it, it 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 just seems like we 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 are a culture that the same way we've messed up our relationship with food, we've significantly messed up our relationship with sleep, and there's there's far less awareness about sleep hygiene than there is about nutrition hygiene which is saying something <laughs> right exactly exactly because there's a such, a such a profound lack of awareness about nutrition hygiene uh a lot of it started uh post industrial revolution with thomas edison um uh Ed, who who as as i'm sure you know was invented the he actually wasn't the first light bulb inventor, but he invented the light bulb that stuck, so to speak, in terms of having a, a long-lasting filament and so on and so forth, along with, I think he had over a thousand patents. Um, Edison uh, propagated this myth of sort of man as machine, and uh, uh, we can light things uh, 24 hours a day, we can live in a, a lit world 24 hours a day, and man can always be working, and so on and so forth. But what most folks don't know is that Edison uh, actually had a cot, a nap cot, um, in a in a side room off of his laboratory. And of course, when he would bring in journalists and so on and so forth to uh, to, to view the great true genius, uh, Thomas Edison, and what was happening in his research and so on and so forth. No one ever saw the lab. They just saw the myth. Uh, Edison was also, uh, uh, one might use the word uh, addicted, but he was certainly um, uh, consumed large quantities of a, uh, a French uh, red wine called Via Mariani, which is infused with cocoa. So, um, <laughs> you know, even the source of the myths, um, uh, if you take a little bit closer look, it, it, it just doesn't—it um, just doesn't stand up. Uh, we, we need sleep. It's in the military. I do a great deal of work uh, with the Department of Defense, and and, and that's um, military sleep is. Uh, something that's uh, uh, near and dear uh, to my heart because our, uh, our our warriors are suffering such uh, significant sleep disturbances and the consequences of disturbed sleep. Um, the military has invested a tremendous amount of uh, uh, research and development dollars. When you have people flying billion-dollar planes, you don't want them falling asleep. Um, so it's just a basic biological uh, need that uh, that really can't be uh, overcome. In fact, you could argue uh, that the biological drive for sleep is stronger than the biological drive for hunger or thirst. You will sleep involuntarily. Um, <laughs> this should cause you some uh, concern as you are on the highway um, because uh, f folks on the road are sleeping involuntarily because of their own uh, sleep loss and a substantial percentage of motor vehicle crashes are associated with drowsy, uh, driver drowsiness and fatigue and uh, and so on and so forth. Mm. So here, here's the point in the interview where I asked you the question that I'm going to later use for the bullet points to get people to listen. 
out of out of personal interest and fear. So how do you know when you are and I I don't know if the right word is sleep deprived, mm. but you know if you're not getting enough sleep or you know a, a quantity or a quality, how how can you tell? How should how would someone know that this they should listen to the rest of this podcast, you know, or just, you know, for academic purposes or whether this is something that's important for their health? Sure. So uh, let's answer that in two ways, and I'm going to draw an arbitrary line that talks about uh, insufficient but otherwise healthy sleep uh, on the near side, and then on the far side, we might have what we'd think of as clinical sleep disorders, and we can talk about the first topic uh, and potentially the second topic today, but the sleep disorders, we'll just see where the conversation goes. We can address that today or, or in the future. Um, one of the easiest markers for uh, insufficient sleep, and I'm going to name three, uh, but one of them is, uh, do I feel uh, tired uh, during the day? Um, do I feel tired uh, at any time uh, during the day? Uh, do I notice that it becomes more difficult uh, to concentrate? Is my energy level uh, just low? Um, from speaking to a nutrition savvy uh, uh, audience, um, folks are very aware of uh, the role that proper diet can have in my in my energy level and mood and so on and so forth. But I would argue that if you're not feeling energetic during the day, the first place to look is well, what happens during this uh, third of the day that should be uh, uh, serving a restorative function. So one is uh, um, what about my daytime performance? Uh, am I experiencing uh, irritability uh, or stress or um, uh, lack of concentration, uh, memory complaints, uh, uh, lethargy or anhedonia? By that, I mean um, symptoms of depressed mood. Um, what's going on during the day? The second... Uh, hold, hold on a second, because it, it, sounds, it sounds to my ears what you said was, you know, am I human? <laughs> Like I don't know, I don't know anyone who doesn't complain about getting tired during the day, um, who doesn't have you know periods of low function. You know, you're, you're saying that that's not that's not normal. Well, uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, you know, defend yourself, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm saying that you know it's not normal to uh, uh, fall off a cliff uh, at a certain point during the day. And the fact that there's a problem here, you only have to go fill your car with gas and see, you know, two refrigerators full of energy drink variations and, uh, you know, five-hour energy, this or that. Um, uh, what we're doing is we're jacking ourselves up on stimulants during the day, and then we're taking some version of a hypnotic at night. Um, things are totally out of whack. That's exactly what I'm saying. And if you don't feel as well as you would like to during the day, I would encourage you to begin to ask some questions about the third of your life that should be serving a restorative function. The second indicator of um, uh, uh, of poor sleep is how quickly you fall asleep when you hit the pillow. Uh, oftentimes folks brag that they're out within 30 seconds or I'm out within two minutes of putting my head on the pillow. Well, uh, thanks, pal, for just letting me know how chronically sleep-deprived you are. Um, <laughs> This is uh, this is not a sign of healthy sleep. This is a sign of uh, a lasting sleep debt. 
if you're falling asleep faster than five minutes, it means you're not getting enough sleep or that you have a sleep disorder. Um, typically, we would look at what we call a sleep latency of anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes is kind of in the normal range. So when you say uh, falling asleep within 10 to 20 minutes, does that does that include like lying in bed reading or after you've turned out the lights, closed your eyes with the intention of falling asleep? Should you stay? Should you be awake for 10 to 20 minutes at that point? Like when, when, when do we when do we start the timer for that? Yeah, it, it's a good question. And, and really, I'm talking about, uh, I'm not talking about the reading example. Uh, reading in bed and doing, um, sort of non-sleep activities in bed is, is, is a bit of a, of a side topic, a very important one if you're having trouble sleeping. But if, if you get in bed and, and read for a little while and find that, uh, relaxing and soothing and part of, uh, uh your sleep routine, um, uh, and then you turn out the light and fall asleep easily, that's not a red flag. Uh, if you uh, brush your teeth and, and wash your face, uh, or if you are too sleepy to accomplish those tasks, and, and you crawl into bed and find yourself out before your head hits the pillow, uh, I'm going to be very interested why. Okay. Great. So that's that, that, that we've gotten two, right? The, uh, the tired during the day and fall asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow. So you said there was a third one? Yeah, the third one I'm going to use just as a um, as a sort of teaser for the the second uh, broad topic, which would be disordered sleep. Um, if you uh, have uh, uh, trouble falling asleep, uh, if you have trouble staying asleep, uh, uh, or if you snore or have been told that you snore, these are red flags and. Unfortunately, um, partially, uh, Howard, because the cartoons that you and I watched when we were kids, partially because of these, what I think are just horribly, um, at best misleading, uh, uh, commercials, uh, uh I'll pick on, uh, Johnson and Johnson product, uh, that has a, uh, a Tylenol PM ad out where they have someone snoring. Take Tylenol PM and then they have this guy snoring like you're going to get a good night's sleep. Snoring is not a sign of good sleep. So trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, or snoring are, are, are all warning signs um, that that uh, that something's not working properly in your sleep system. So is snoring the a symptom or a cause or or both? And I'm I'm asking this. Um, I don't snore at all, although everyone that I've ever shared a room with says I do. <laughs> so, so I want to make it, I want to make it clear that that's, uh, completely false. But, yeah. You know, we, so when you hear that, where does your mind go? Well, we've got it on tape. So clearly that's the, yeah. Um, well, you know, people have also played back tapes, you know, in their desperation of what they claim to be my snoring. It, it was someone else. It was their dog or, or, yeah. I don't, I don't know how they did it because one of them was a video. It was, it was incredibly well done, but I, I'm still com- in complete denial as you can tell. <laughs> complete. So, uh, snoring, uh, is absolutely a warning sign. Uh, um, uh, Howie, for, for this, for the, uh, edification of your listeners, would you, um, imitate briefly the uh, snoring that these folks uh, manufactured. All right. Let's, I could lay down and probably give it to you for real. So, so the, what my, what my wife says is that the, the sort of rock, rockabye baby snoring, the, you know, is very soothing, but, but I will wake her up when I do like a really, 
sh- loud, sharp, sudden snort. Sure. And so I, I I go back and forth between between sawing wood and and um, you know explosions. So, so I want to. Uh, so first, thank you for that. Uh, second, I want to uh, uh, assure your listeners that this is not uh, scripted. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they know by now that nothing in my life is scripted, <laughs> except your intro. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Let me make a couple uh, uh, a couple comments. First, um, if you were uh, um, at, uh, at 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 a workplace and someone in a cubicle next to you breathed the way that you just uh, snored. I mean, if that was just their mode of breathing during the work day, how might you respond? <laughs> Man, that is a, a mind-altering question. Uh, with, with, with great concern, um, annoyance, judgment, fear... <laughs> Yeah, I'd be like, call nine one one. What's going on? This guy's about to keel over. But somehow we've been duped into thinking that uh, snoring is a sign of good sleep, or that snoring is a, a, a normal during sleep, and it's simply not. Uh, during sleep, uh, we breathe, and uh, snoring is a sign of disordered breathing. So um, snoring. Most important thing is a warning sign, and we don't want to be doing it. We don't want to be doing it for for a number of different reasons. Um, um, snoring uh, uh, is a neuropathy, and and what that means is that uh, it's progressive. So um, snoring is low grade vibratory trauma in the upper airway, and the more that those uh, tissues. Uh, that those neuromuscular uh, soft tissues in the upper airway are uh, vibrated and thrashed around and, and so on and so forth, the more collapsible they become. So, uh, Howard, when you were a boy, did you ever take a blade of grass and put it between your thumbs or even now? <laughs> this morning before we got on the call, yeah, <laughs> sit on your back porch uh, uh, and, and – then you blow, right, with that piece of grass between your thumbs and, and, and it vibrates. Right. Well, the reason that it vibrates is that you have a lot of air moving through a small space. So everything that's not nailed down shakes and that vibration makes the whistling noise. And that's exactly what's happening during snoring. The tissues in the upper airway are collapsing. So your brain uh, and vital organs still need the same quantity of oxygen. Your diaphragm is is uh, still pulling at roughly the same uh, intensity, but there's not enough air. Uh, there, excuse me, there's not enough space in the upper airway. <clears throat> so the same quantity of air is trying to come through a smaller space in the same way that that blade of grass vibrated when you were a boy or this morning. Um, <laughs> Uh, the tissues in the upper airway are vibrating, right? So mm-hmm. as these uh, progressively collapse farther and farther, that means that there's even less space for the air to get through. And eventually what happens is that uh, a guy like me or a sleep disorder specialist is able to recognize uh, using data gathered during uh, a sleep study what are called distinct breathing events. The most common of these, and you and I had touched base on this briefly, uh, are called, uh, or the most well-known of these, I should say, are called apneas. 
uh, apnea uh, and sleep apnea, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, is the most common sleep-related breathing disorder. Um, apnea comes from the Greek. It means literally no breath or no air because at this point, the uh, tissues in the upper airway have completely collapsed. So literally no breath or no air is able to make its way through. So if you think back to uh, normal breathing where I inhale and exhale and so on and so forth and that oxygen is extracted and distributed via the bloodstream and uh, in obstructive sleep apnea of which snoring is the first step uh, or the most mild form of sleep-related breathing disorders and apnea is the most severe uh, um, uh, uh, form because it's complete closure, uh, my brain is going to not get the oxygen that it needs. And oftentimes those oxygen levels uh, will uh, fall lower than can support human life. So my brain goes into panic mode. It uh, uh, sends signals to the diaphragm to breathe harder, to try and open this blockage. It sends signals to the tissues in the upper airway saying, hey, guys, you know, pop open here like we're suffocating. And what you end up with is a violent-sounding snort where the pressure has increased such that the uh, kind of vacuum seal in the upper airway is broken. <gasps> So that at least I can finally get some air. Now I'll let you connect the dots. Okay. Well, I, I'm less interested in the dots than in like calling an ambulance to get me to. <laughs> now I'm, now I'm really uh, motivated to to do. I, I've never really been motivated to do anything about it before. It just was like, you know, this is what happens. This is what some people do. Right. It, it sounds awful. It sounds like from you know back in my world the equivalent of a of a cardiovascular blockage you know the 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 way the uh the endothelium will will peel away and and you can have a a heart attack or a stroke it sounds like you know this is more forgiving um there, there there's a mechanism to to kind of deal with it rapidly without killing me but it sounds it sounds awful and it sounds serious so i guess my my questions are like one of my favorite songs is tom waits you're innocent when you dream and <laughs> And I think like, I'm innocent. I'm not doing anything wrong here. Like, like I, like I'm almost feeling like, like you're describing my snoring as like I'm blameworthy somehow. And I know this is like completely irrational, but it's where my mind is going. And I want to protest and say, but I'm asleep. I have no control over this. So, so where, where are we talking symptomatic and where, where are there causes that, 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 that I, you know, can do something about? It? Cause I've been snoring since, you know, since, since I was a little kid. And in, in fact, I used to, uh, uh, my first um, summer at summer camp when I was 12 years old, the, the counselor came in the first night and he thought there was like an animal in the in our bunk because I was making some, uh, like a scratching noise at the back of my throat. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, um, so the real question that you're asking is what causes uh, sleep apnea? And the subtext is, you know, what am I doing wrong? And uh, I'm going to – you're not doing anything wrong. Um, I'll, I'll talk about causes in just a sec. But uh, most patients uh, have exactly the same reaction that you did, which is, hey, wait a minute. I, I, like, I'm asleep. You know, uh, <laughs> what, what, what are you telling me? I, and this is – you know, uh, you're, you're sort of protesting and, and uh, with your friends and saying, I don't snore anyway. And, you know, they've got like the – 
the, the video crew and they're saying, are you so sure? Um, it's very common. Uh, 90% of sleep-related breathing disorders uh, remain uh, undiagnosed. Folks don't know that they have it. And um, because there are stereotypes associated with having it, uh, primarily for women, uh, uh, snoring is unladylike uh, and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, women don't want to have uh, snoring or sleep apnea. And men associate uh, snoring or sleep apnea most commonly with being obese or uh, overweight or out of shape or unrobust or some other unmanly attribute. So no one wants to have it. Um, but like I said, uh, 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 it's very common. It's more common than asthma. And it has significant uh, 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 health-related consequences um, from obesity, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular uh, risk, neurocognitive dysfunction, sexual complaints. Uh, you know, I, I could go on and on. But the the, um, um, the second part, so the first uh, answer, how is it's not your fault. And if you have had a, a lifelong history of snoring, then it's even more suggestive that it's not your fault. Because one of the causes of uh, snoring or sleep apnea has to do with the shape of the upper airway. And you, um, unless you are photoshopping 120 pounds uh, off of yourself since the last time I've seen you in person are not uh, overweight or obese. So uh, uh, it has to do with the shape of the upper airway. Uh, it also has to do with the patency of the tissues in the upper airway or just the, the collapsibility of those tissues, um, the same way that some people naturally have more taut or robust biceps. Uh, some people naturally have uh, more uh, taut or um, uh, patent uh, uh, musculature in the upper airway. Uh-huh. Let me go back to what I said earlier about uh, snoring being uh, progressive and this sort of localized trauma. There was actually recently uh, in Sleep, which is the sort of flagship uh, academic sleep re- research journal, uh, in the past year there was a very interesting study that actually caused sleep apnea in patients by inducing snoring, uh, and then the tissues would um, the, the tissues in the upper airway would would become less collapsible following this um, uh, experimentally induced uh, uh, vibration. So <clears throat> um, you're not doing anything wrong, but there are highly effective uh, treatments for uh, obstructive sleep apnea, uh, which I know folks want to ask about uh, or, and hear about, but it, it would be um, – you need to start with uh, 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 with assessment and diagnosis before you can talk about treatment options. And before you know that you have sleep apnea, even when you're describing uh, witnessed apneas, which are, are highly reliable indicator of obstructive sleep apnea, because if your wife is seeing those during the limited time that she's awake while you're asleep, almost invariably uh, you're experiencing those more at times when she is also asleep, therefore unable to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that you need to do is uh, uh, is be have a test and find out if you have it. And there are a number of ways, and we can talk about that now or offline as you prefer, uh, uh, to, to have that tested. It is a medical test at this time, and I would encourage you and all of your listeners to avoid any infomercial self-diagnosis kind of gizmos. This is, 
Um, it's easily treatable, but it's also not something you want to screw around with. Uh, if you suspect if you or any of your listeners suspect that you have a sleep related breathing disorder, talk to your doctor. I'm going to okay. go, I'm going to go anti, um, self sort of medication on this one. Okay. Fair, fair enough. So I know that there's a near, near me in North Carolina, there's the, the Duke sleep disorders clinic. So that I would, uh, Call them up and say, I, I snore and I've been told that I snort and can you paste some things to my head and let me sleep? And yeah, exactly. That's what's called an in-lab sleep study. Uh, I know the facility at Duke and offline. I'm happy to connect you uh, with someone there. Um, um, there are also what are called at-home sleep tests, which have become increasingly popular in, in the past, really in the past several years, but that is uh, a rapidly rising tide. Uh, the insurance companies like it because they are far, far less expensive uh, uh, to diagnose patients at at their home than having patients go someplace like Duke. Uh, and many patients like it because they're intimidated, mostly because they don't really understand what happens, but um, they're intimidated about going to the sleep lab. And that's, that's understandable. They want to sleep right. in their own bed. Um, so Howard, uh, as a... Um, uh, as someone with a with a uh, yourself as a with a doctorate and a master's degree in public health and so on and so forth, from a public health perspective, home sleep testing will allow uh, far more uh, people in a cost effective way to be diagnosed and treated. Uh, but there are trade offs. Uh, um, it's 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 more efficient but less robust the data that is gathered. So. For example, if you have a home sleep test because your doctor suspected that you have obstructive sleep apnea, um, but that test turns out negative, um, the next step would be to go to the in-lab sleep study. In other words, it's not fine, it's not as fine tooth a comb. So, uh, you'd still have to follow up with the in-lab test because we originally suspected that you had it in the beginning and the, and the home sleep test can only say yes, it can't say no. So, so there's much more risk of, of false negatives than false positives with the home sleep test. There, yeah, there's virtually no risk of false positive with the home sleep test. That's exactly right. Okay. So, uh, so, but I've got, you, you recommend that people like not go shopping on Amazon for this. So you, you do it through a doctor. Yeah, there was one, a patient brought me a printout, uh, the answer is yes, absolutely do it through a, through a doctor. A, a patient brought me some European advertisement a year or so ago saying you can diagnose your own sleep apnea, uh, and it was a, you know, um, uh, a consumer product and, um, Someday the science uh, may be there. Uh, in our country, these things are regulated appropriately and thankfully by the FDA. And, and you know, um, you want to be weary of anyone who tells you that they can treat your medical condition, who doesn't even really have an accurate assessment or diagnosis of your medical condition. Um, um, I definitely would say play it. You used the example earlier of um, – uh, of an infarction or a, a cerebrovascular event. I can't recall what you mentioned. Yeah, if it's a heart attack or a stroke, you're not going to buy a gizmo on Amazon. Use the same approach here. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it, so- it sounds like I should talk to you offline about my own particular condition. It seems like it's uh, it's it's common, but it's not uh, universal and it's not inclusive of everyone. But so let's let's um, let's say that. Um, you know the, the test reveals something, and and so what? What are some 
um, like non-medical interventions that would be just very common that you would recommend? What are the big mistakes people make that uh, that affect their sleep? Like their you know their their routines, their habits, their environments. What you know, if you, if, without diagnosing someone in particular, what can you say in general that people could look for, and you know, that th- things that they could do that would just be good for them anyway. So yeah. you know, if like if I, it's like I t- if I tell people to eat more kale, you know, I don't know anyone who's ever suffered from from that. Uh, there's no negative side effects. So what what, what are what are some of the things you'd recommend that have only you know neutral or positive side effects that can help with people's sleep problems? Yeah, of course. So I just want to point out that we're shifting away from sleep-related breathing disorders. Okay. Yeah, uh, we're gonna, we're going to come back to that offline when I can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can I can reveal all the sordid stories to you. <laughs> I uh, uh, I have no video camera. I promise. Uh, the uh, uh, so <clears throat> if I were to um, uh, break it down into uh, three steps. Uh, first thing I'd want to do is, is put it in context. Uh, by that, I mean sleep takes place in the context of uh, rhythm. So earlier I mentioned uh, that sleep is defined by EEG frequency and that during the course of the night, um, uh, we wax and wane in and out of deeper stages of sleep uh, about once every 100 minutes or so. At a more uh, uh, macro level, we have... Uh, daily uh, rhythms, uh, the circadian rhythms. Uh, at a at a more macro level, we have monthly rhythms, the uh, rhythm of um, the lunar cycle or of a woman's menstrual cycle. Um, at a more macro level, do, do do men have monthly cycles too? Well, there's some. Uh, uh, that's a loaded question. I suspect by the time of tone of your voice. No, no, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm just. I'm just. Uh, you know, it's. It, so I, I'd like to, I'd like to think that I do. Yeah. So there, it, it's a controversial topic. Scientifically, you know, the data is sort of very mixed, but colloquially, lots of people will, will talk about parallel processes between uh, men and women um, uh, in terms of uh, obviously not menstruation, but but hormonal shifts and so on and so forth. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, um, speaking as a uh, uh, as a guy, not a scientist. Yeah, well, a friend of mine always says, you know, I'm a leader of men and a follower of women. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. It, it probably made evolutionary sense to entrain to a certain extent. Ah, highly adaptive. This is yeah. highly adaptive. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll live with that for now. <laughs> the uh, um, uh, so at an even more macro level, you know, you have the rhythm, uh, annual rhythm, uh, rhythm of the seasons. Uh, uh, as we enter fall and will be followed uh, by winter uh, where you and I live in the, in the sort of mid-Atlantic or you in the southeast. Uh, winter will be followed by spring and summer and so on and so forth. And an even more macro level, you could think about stages of life, uh, including uh, uh, death and becoming a fertilizer and, and so on and so forth. So um, sleep takes place in, uh, uh, in the context of rhythm and um, three steps would be first uh, begin to uh, uh, track your sleep. Uh, I'd be happy to, to share uh, with any of your listeners uh, the sleep diary that I use uh, with patients. Uh, I'm sure you can find a free sleep diary uh, online. 
Um, but begin to look at what your sleep schedule uh, is like. What time are you going to bed? How long is it taking you to fall asleep? Are you waking up during the night? And if so, for how long? What time do you wake up in the morning? How do you feel in the morning? So on and so forth. Let's start to gather some data. Uh, the second thing uh, is to keep that rhythm in mind. Um, the single most helpful, and you mentioned earlier, uh, um, some uh, intellectual uh, uh, property that, that I've been working on and, and so on and so forth has to do with developing adaptive uh, pre-sleep routines to fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer and to achieve that deep restful sleep that we're all uh, craving. Um, develop a, a pre-sleep uh, routine. Uh, use nature as a guide. Uh, too many of our lives go from uh, um, uh, dawn to sunrise to day to day to day to day to day to night and we need to reinsert some dusk <laughs> so um, uh, take some time you can begin to uh, darken your household environment for example uh, avoid electronic stimulation avoid uh, cognitively or emotionally uh, activating activities within a couple hours of bed. Avoid vigorous exercise within four hours of bed. Vigorous exercise increases our core body temperature. And um, I mentioned earlier that sleep is a cooling down period. If your core body temperature is artificially increased, it's going to be even more difficult to uh, 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 to fall asleep and then and then stay asleep. That's that's reminding me of you know we spent a year in Africa. And one of the things that would happen at dusk, and we'd always go out and look at it, is like all the baboons would gather on the hill and sit and sort of stare off into space. And they, you know, they were just looking like depressed. <laughs> like if, you know, if I had to uh, impute human emotions on them, like they're all bummed out. And they would just sort of sit there for a while as it grew dark. And then when it was kind of too dark to see them, that we could hear them like scrambling off back to their, to their nests and, and bunkers for the night. So they had a they had a wind down ritual. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, is that is that what I hear you saying? I guess that I mean I that's how I'm interpreting it based on your your discussion of of dusk. Yeah, well, it it, it in in you know their wind down ritual. It sounds like <clears throat> uh, I would, that would have been fascinating. Um, it, maybe sometime you can you can share uh, 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 photographs. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like that wind down ritual included some. Uh, shared social time, uh, perhaps a, uh, a spiritual time. Um, you know, it was a very clear, it was a, it was a, um, it was a time of transition. And we need to be more appreciative of, uh, of our need from transition from busy day into, uh, uh restful night. And in order to do that, we're going to have to, uh, be aware of and choose to um, ignore or even rebel against all of those uh, societal influences that you mentioned earlier. I, I, I tell folks that I've spoken with thousands of people about their sleep, and I've never met one for whom the news is relaxing. So uh, <laughs> begin to think about uh, uh, um, the transition uh, um, from uh, day into night. The third thing, uh, Howard, would be uh, to get more sleep than you're currently getting. Uh, a, a, as a brushstroke generalization, we're not getting enough sleep. 
and obviously, and maybe someday we will have a call with top 10 sleep tips or so on and so forth. But those three would be, uh, uh, track your sleep, uh, emphasize, uh, uh, transition from day to night and, uh, consistency in your sleep. And third is, uh, uh allocate more time, uh, for sleep quantity. Well, those, those are, they sound very commonsensical and they sound like the sorts of things that, that most people won't do. <laughs> Yes. Does it help, does it help to uh to to have the white coat in order like you know I I'm I'm sure I've read like tips like this before and I'm like yeah right 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 uh, uh, what what do you recommend for people that who are, you know to take this seriously to actually get started um improving the quality of their sleep and 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 I don't know if this is a segue into the stuff you're working on the informational products that are that people can can guess but what you know how how do you recommend people get this advice into their lives uh, focus on the first step. Uh, the biggest difference, and, and it's, um, uh, I, I believe I'd confessed, if I hadn't, I've been saving a big confession, that I am undecided on dietary philosophy um, and, and uh, uh, my personal dietary philosophy. Uh, we'd spoken some in the past about uh, you have opposing philosophies, both which appear to have a robust evidence base, uh, by that I mean, uh, and there are obviously multiple, but a sort of paleo approach versus a plant-based approach and so on and so forth. And uh, so I've been waiting to spring that confession on you. Um, but the biggest difference uh, I, I um, um, would suggest is not whether one chooses a plant-based diet or a paleo diet or any of the myriad spinoffs. It's actually, are you going to pay more attention to diet at all and become more mindful about your food and more purposeful about your dietary choices. Um, my, uh, we had spoken not on the call, but uh, you and I had spoken some about my background in the past. I came from a sort of high performance uh, athletics and, and peak performance background. And I always used to um, uh, get a kick out of when folks would argue about, should you do, push-ups or bench press or, you know, um, um, lift weights or run. And none of that matters if you aren't first off the couch. <laughs> so, uh, and the difference between running or lifting weights or push-ups or bench press is much, much smaller than the difference between potato chips and television and doing any of the above, right? So it's the same thing with, with sleep and, and this is called lowering the bar. So if you are listening to the call and if you have some questions, uh, about, uh, your own sleep or daytime performance and so on and so forth, what you want to do is identify the absolute smallest step that you can take to move in a new direction. For most folks, that is going to be keeping a sleep diary or a sleep log. It'll take 60 seconds a day, and uh, after a week, you will have engaged in a new sleep behavior for seven consecutive days. Uh, and now we have some behavioral momentum that we can begin to uh, build upon in terms of uh, uh, adding layers uh, of change. Um, in terms uh, – uh, sorry, uh, it sounded like you had a question. No, I mean, I, I absolutely love that advice. The, you know, do the smallest thing you can possibly do. You know, we're, we're not in any rush 
to improve when the other option is, you know, hurry up and do nothing. Yeah, the, <coughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, uh, so lower the bar and 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 make that uh, first step we can talk about uh, enlisting social support and goal setting and 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 uh, uh managing expectations and i think that's probably too much for this morning um but lower the bar uh, and take the 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 first step it, it, you, one of your questions was well does it help if you have a white coat uh my first few years uh, in private practice i did uh, uh wear a white coat i don't wear a white coat anymore undoubtedly my stimulus value as a healthcare provider um uh, uh, uh helps in terms of patient adherence and so on and so forth but as i get more interested in um uh, the need is so great uh, for um, sleep and, and diet um, uh, uh, and, and exercise, for that matter, and healthier lifestyles and more purposeful living choices that uh, at some point uh, uh, I will embark in a shift that it at least involves um, some degree of uh, uh, guiding one to many as opposed to one on one, and so your listeners can keep an eye out for that too. They can send you questions, and we'll address them in a follow up call. I'm happy to answer any questions. Okay, that'd be great. I'll uh, I'll direct people to uh, to post their questions as comments to this podcast post, and uh, well, I'm sure I'm sure we will talk again. I'm I'm highly motivated to find out more. I have two pages of scribbled questions that I think are beyond the scope of this first call. I want to, I want to end with, uh, with, with a question. It might be a little bit weird, but after working on Whole for over a year, uh, I ended up, and, and really diving into the science and the details and the facts, I ended up with an almost, well, reverential view of the human body and and nature and biology and cosmos. And I'm wondering, you know, beyond your, all your work as a scientist, is there, is there some part of you that, that views sleep as, as just a mystery, as, 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 as something to wonder at? A- a- absolutely. Uh, uh, 100%. And I think that any um, reductionist approach that says we have all the answers um, – uh, 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 is, 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 is terrifying. Um, and folks who, who, um, uh, who, who purport such worldviews, uh, are oftentimes terrifying themselves. Um, the, uh, one has only to look at the importance of sleep and dreaming, for example, um, throughout human history to realize uh, that there is something uh, um, deeply mysterious uh, and, and uh, that warrants reverence. Um, uh, I think that uh, that our job as um, uh, uh, as leaders is uh, uh, to uh, embody and act upon the best uh, knowledge that we have, uh, with an eye towards the fact that mm, chances are. Um, um, we, we know a drop in the bucket. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, well, there's, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. Some of it we'll do offline. Some of it I hope we will, we will do publicly for, for others' benefit. Um, Dr. Emerson Wickwire, uh, sleep expert and my friend, thank you so much for taking this hour to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. Take care. And you.